I'm here with Coach John Harbaugh of the Baltimore Ravens on episode number 39 of the Path to Fall podcast. Coach Harbaugh, thanks so much for for joining me today on the episode, and um, I appreciate your time. Great to see you too. No, I appreciate it. It's uh, it's uh, always fun. You know, it's uh, I got a lot of love for Gilman and and uh, Bryn Mawr, of course. So uh, appreciate uh, yeah, Allison had a great experience in your class and. It was awesome. Yeah, it was great to get to know her. And um, when I reached out to her to see if you would be willing to come on this podcast, she she gave me two pieces of great news. Number one, you could you're willing to come on. Number two, she said she's thinking about maybe studying English in college, and that's like the best news for a teacher is like, you know, that she's gonna be uh, pursuing English. And hopefully, I had somewhat of a hand in that because I was in my first year teaching. I was just out of college when she was in my class, but. Um, that was awesome to hear. Yeah, definitely. That's you're right. That's that's a rewarding thing for a teacher. And yeah, that's what she's talking about now: English, and then the, she's got the Japanese piece, and then uh, she's thinking about law school maybe. But you know, right now she's just trying to get through Tuesday, I think. You know, and <laughs> do okay on Tuesday. But yeah, she's doing great. And uh, no, she really enjoyed that class that you had. And uh, I think you got her got her going writing and, and just the, the reading and the interpretation. She talked about the interpretations of the different things you guys were reading, which is really fun. You know, as a parent, you love seeing that and they start getting stimulated a little bit. And yeah, really, I, I, so thank I, you for that. Uh, yeah, you know, no problem. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I tried to focus on writing a lot in that class because I think writing is such an important skill. Like, you know, for, for kids, even if they don't study English or pursue English at all, knowing how to write is just so important for any career that you choose to, to pursue, I would say. Yeah. You know, you're so right. And it's, it's interesting because I think it's kind of a lost art, like except for some of the really good schools or really good teachers. And uh, you know, I know cause she's doing really well there right now. And the, the writing part of it, I see all of her assignments. I mean, it's, it's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just writing all the time, you know, and man, if you haven't written a lot coming into college, I would think you'd, it's just like you said, it's just, it's almost becoming a lost art nowadays. Yeah, and I know so many people who are even sending emails to out to people and they're just racking their brains. How do I phrase this? What do I say here? And if you have some experience and, and some knowledge in that regard, it makes it a lot easier to communicate with people, which is so important. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. So I started this podcast here at Gilman in October, and I'm working with uh, Cesare is our technology guy. He's here. Um, so he's helping me out with this, some of the tech stuff. But what I really focus on in these podcast episodes is your story and kind of how you got into coaching and in- inspiring people and leadership. And I've done a few episodes with some of the coaches here at Gilman um, about building culture and building family and some of those pillars of success. Um, so, so I think maybe we can start out with kind of your childhood, your experience growing up and, and how you were influenced as a kid in the sport of football and, and really what drove you to kind of get into coaching as a, a profession. Yeah, Jake. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. This is a, a cool podcast. You know, we love Gilman and Bryn Mawr and God's a big part of Allison's life and you were a big part of her life. So appreciate that with the English. You got to really, uh, you got to really enthuse for English. You know, my dad always says attack the day with her enthusiasm unknown to mankind. And you, uh, you kind of gave that to her in English and I really appreciate that. So 
Uh, she's carrying that forward at Notre Dame now. So thank you. Um, and that's kind of where it starts really kind of with our parents, you know, my dad, as far as the coaching part, but we grew up with that. My dad's always been an inspirational type of a leader, a great speaker. Uh, we grew up around football players, you know, um, his players, he was a defensive back coach at a number of different colleges. And when we were in the main years, we were growing up, he was at the university of Michigan. So those guys would be over to the house for dinner or, you know, just to watch a game or Thanksgiving or whatever it might be. And, we looked up to those guys I and mean, those guys were our, our idols. You know, those are the guys that, that we uh, wanted to pattern ourselves after when we were, you know, young upcoming athletes and all that. And so that's kind of how it got started. And just from there, it just kind of grows and goes. And I really wasn't planning on coaching. I was planning on, um, I don't know what I was planning on law school. I was planning on that, but uh, my dad on graduate school uh, asked me to see if I'd coach the running backs there the first year when I got when I graduated from Miami university. And, um, I mean, I was hooked by the end of the season, you know, just being with the guys every day, the camaraderie, you know, the, just the joy of, of being a part of the team. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. And I know competition in your household was, you know, bar none. You had a brother, you, you know, competition was just stressed by your dad and your family. Um, can you kind of give me an example or talk through like the level of competition in the Harbaugh household as you were, as you were growing up and how that might've influenced you to continue with football and, and get into coaching. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody that has a, a brother that, you know, we were 15 months apart. So anybody's experienced that knows exactly what I'm talking about. And, um, you know, we grew up, uh, you know, of course our dad would be, we had these little, we have a picture of these, we're in these little, um, you know, the little white undershirt things. We got these, we're like three and four years old and, We've got them all drawn up with a number and some team. I think it was uh, dad's high school team. He was coaching in high school at the time. And, you know, he'd, he'd bring us out. He introduced us and we'd come running out in the little living room with our basketballs and dribble around and do layups and all that. So, you know, he just, he just had fun with us. I think he had two boys. Uh, my sister, Joni came a little later. And then, but then we just, you know, obviously Jim was a better athlete. He bigger, faster, stronger. Most of the time I'd shoot ahead, you know, and I'd have it over him for a little while and he'd catch up and, and, uh, you know, we'd be fighting it out, you know, but, uh, you know, he's a pro athlete. You know, he ended up being an NFL quarterback for 16 years, so I had my hands full. But we pretty much fought and competed on everything, you know, whether it's cards or pool mm-hmm. in the basement. We had a little cheap pool table or uh, we had a basketball. We had a, we had a coat hanger basketball net for a tennis ball that we dunk over each other on. Uh, turned more into wrestling than we probably did basketball. You know, that's just how it is for brothers, right? That's how we grew up and. Uh, you know, to this day, we're, we still compete, but, you know, I think we're closer than ever because of it. So it's more of a brother thing probably than it was, a, you know, a, a coaching thing. It was just kind of just two brothers, two boys going at it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I didn't have a brother, but I have kind of the similar experience with friends growing up. And even with my sisters, there's there's a little bit of competition there at all times. It just makes everything more fun. Um but but talking about the influences in your life and, you know, maybe it was your brother in the competition, maybe your dad for sure played a huge part in that. I was thinking about, you know, being Allison's teacher my first year at Gilman teaching English. And, you know, it's it's probably sensible to ask you about the coaches that made an impact on you growing up and playing sports. But I, I was thinking maybe were there some teachers that you had as – a kid who who played a part in your development as a person? 
sure. You know, um, as you go back through it in, in junior high, I had a, a uh, couple teachers, uh, Mr. Mr. O'Malley and then uh, Mr. Moran. Uh, they were also they were also coaches. Um, Mr. And, and Dave McCarney was my sixth grade basketball coach. I'll never forget those guys. They they were they were great coaches, you know, because because um, because they believed in in you. You know, I can I can remember in seventh grade history with Mr. O'Malley, and he uh, I actually got a hundred percent in the for the whole year in history. I mean, didn't get a question wrong the whole year. And uh, I mean, the only time in my life I got an award as far as school, I got voted most likely to succeed in seventh grade. So, woo, you know, <laughs> uh, probably because of that history class, you know, and he was the homeroom guy. And then I, 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 I can remember getting, I had one, one, one test came back and I had one wrong. It's like, you know, it's was, was kind of like, wow. Okay. And but then he ended up saying, you know, well, you probably got two wrong. He said, because there was one question that was, that was incorrect. I got to flip it. That turned out to be the one I got wrong. It was actually right. <laughs> so it's like, and he called me up. To, he told me that at the desk, and he just was really just encouraging. You know, he just was really encouraging about you know what maybe I could do someday, and and how proud he was of me. Same thing with uh, with just you know the other the other two guys who were coaches. One was a football coach, and one was a uh, uh, a basketball coach. And Tom Minnick was a family friend who coached us in little league football. These people were always uplifting. They were always. 95 percenters, I would say, you know, 95 percent of the things that they told us were positive. They told us what we could be. They told us what we were capable of. You know, they'd make the correction 5 percent of the time. But you heard the 95 percent. So put it in context like, oh, they think I'm worthwhile. They think I have value. They think I have talent. They think I can actually accomplish something. You know, I think just as a teacher, you know this so well. Right, Jake? I mean, young people, they need that. They need to know that that you value them and you see something in them and that they have gifts and abilities. And when you, when you can tap into that, then I think you can also teach them where they need to learn to improve and you can challenge them and, and, and help, help them grow and to be better. And, and, you know, uh, you know, it's gotta be, you know, just, just push them to do, to do the best they can do. But that's, that's where I first kind of experienced that in, in junior high, you know, and my dad always says it just takes one person to believe in a young person for that person to do something, but it takes at least one person. Yeah, really, nobody can do it on their own. And man, I think that's so true. Yeah. And I've I've talked about before, just in in my experience, the teachers and the coaches who told me that I was good at something growing up played such a huge role for me, because when you're in fifth and sixth and seventh grade, you don't really know what you want to do. You have no clue, right? You barely know what you want to do when you're in college almost. And those teachers that said, "Hey Jake, you're you're a pretty good writer or, you know, you're a decent lacrosse player, you might you might take this somewhere." Right? That that forces you to like that sport or that activity a lot more just in my in my experience there. You know, it's so true. And you know, I, I bet, you know, you probably experience this like we all do. You look back, okay, when you're you're in 5th or 6th grade and you realize and you remember how insecure you were and how insecure everybody else was and you're really self-absorbed. I mean, you know, hey, most of us still are. But but back then, you know, you really didn't take into account. There's no empathy. You know, the way the way kids talk to one another, it's hard. Our kids will look at themselves in the mirror. You know, am I am I cute? Am I ugly? Am I too skinny? Am I too fat? Am I too short? Am I too tall? You know, am I smart? Am I dumb? They look in the mirror and they don't know. You know, at some point in time, they, and then they make a decision about themselves based on what other people tell them. And you just as a teacher and a leader, you can't leave it up to the other kids to define people. You have to. You have to be the person, I think, that and if you can do it in your classroom, if you can, you know, if you can, you can build that kind of an environment where people understand the value of uplifting one another. 
but really you got to do it. Like, and you do a great job of that. I know because my daughter had you in class. <clears throat> if you can tell somebody that they're special, that they're valuable, that they're meaningful, if you can act on a way around that, 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 that uh, can, can communicates to them that you like them as a person, then they go home and they look in the mirror and they go, maybe I am okay. Mm -hmm. or maybe I do have value. <clears throat> That's a huge thing. Right. And there's, especially in the world today of, of kids growing up with social media, there's so much comparison going on. Like, cause you only post on social media, the things that, you know, you think you're, you're not going to post a picture of you on the couch on a Saturday. You're posting a picture of you at the beach. So everyone's life looks pretty perfect. And there's so much comparison going on with kids. I think that that message is really important. Yeah, you're right. It's tougher now than ever, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, Coach, I was thinking about um, like building a team culture, and we've done some podcasts with the coaches here at Gilman on – culture and and leadership and some of these values that I know that you instill in your players every day um, but I was thinking like what what is culture really and you know what are some of those pillars of, of a successful winning culture for you and and the Ravens yeah you know it's something I that that word I, I, I love the word and I hate the word because it, it sometimes it gets kind of misused as a cliche you know we're going to rebuild the culture here and, and it's such a vague word time. too. Such a vague word. You know, what does it mean? You know, and um, that's, that's something that, but, but it's real. You know, the, the thing that you're talking about, the thing you're describing is, is really everything, be it a team or a classroom or a corporation or whatever, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's everything because it's the work environment. It's the belief system. It's the, uh, it's the principles, the standards, you know, so we could get into, we could probably talk for, we could talk for days about the different things we talk about and the different like terms that we use to describe the expectations. But I, I think in, in essence, that's, that's what it is. It's a, it's a vision, which is, you know, I would say defined as a shared understanding that you, that you, that you grow into. Um, and that ends up being kind of based on shared experiences and shared values and the way you look at things, um, conversations, uh, communication, all kind of stuff. Uh, it's a, it's a worldview, uh, not necessarily a political world, not a specific political worldview, but a worldview on how what we're here for, what our why is, and what our what our mission is, and why we've been brought together. You know, we how do we view this together? How do we look at this? And then the principles and the standards that we that we stand for. You know, we say a lot of times around here that principles are written in stone, methods are not. So yeah, the principles we don't even have rules. We say you can call them rules if you want, but they're really not rules. I mean, nobody's obligated. You know, we're not throwing anybody in jail around here. You know, what we are doing is that we're we're trying to accomplish something, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to dominate, we're trying to conquer the National Football League, you know, and, and how do we do that? Well, this is what it's going to take. And these are our standards and principles, our expectations uh, to achieve our goals and accomplish our mission. So this is what we, this is what it is, you know, and, and, and we try to hold each other accountable to live up to that and live up to it ourselves and just understand what they are. Um, and, and those principles and standards are written in stone, but the way we do it, the place that we run or the way we lift weights or the way we practice those are all things that we want to talk to one another about. We can we can find a better way to do something, then we want to do it a better way. So if you got an idea, man, I want to hear it. You know, and if it's better, we're going to do it. And if it's not better, then you know we can we can we can we I, I ought to explain why I don't see it that way. I think this is a little bit better for this reason at this time or whatever. And then we can all walk away with a shared understanding uh, that's going to take us to where we want to go. So, you know, in a nutshell, I think that's 
I used to have a professor one time. You'll appreciate this. He was a, he was one of my poli sci professors. I loved the man. He was kind of Middle Eastern. He was from Egypt, and he had this accent. And he said, uh, a student one time wasn't me because I didn't want to talk too much in class. <laughs> but he said, he said, well, in a, he was described like Marxism or something. And he said, well, in a nutshell, <laughs> professor interrupted me. He said, any philosophy that can be put in a nutshell belongs there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forgot that. I know? love it. Um, and, and I know you guys talk about trust in, in, at the Ravens, big trust. And we, uh, we describe that in our offices as coaches, I'm coaching lacrosse here and, and I'm coaching with a guy that I grew up playing for coach Nostrand and, and he, his big word is trust too. Um, I'm thinking about maybe what are some ways that you, you, see trust in your organization or build trust amongst the coaches and the players? And how does that, how does that word, how does that idea become tangible, like a real thing for you guys? Right. Well, you know, it's, it's a big thing. And yeah, you know, like any other principle, so if it becomes just a word, then obviously it's, you're right. It's not tangible. And it's not, it's not reality, but I do think that we all understand. We kind of know what trust is. Uh, do we experience it? You know, some better than others, you know, people have been brought up different ways, come from different, different places, different, races, different spaces, different experiences, different economic backgrounds. Everything is, is a little different, different, different family situations. So, you know, everybody comes in from a different place. So you've got to establish, you know, kind of what you mean by that. Um, and, you know, it's funny that Lamar started the big trust thing because we, you know, trust is, I think he, I think he, I think it really resonated with him back his, his rookie season. And, uh, you know, we were going into a big, important season and, I told the players when the season started, I said, we, I gave, I gave him a dynamite talk. I mean, it was an awesome <laughs> opening talk, you know, motivational. But at the end, I said, I just want you to know I made it to, I made one choice, fundamental choice here. And I looked at me and I said, my choice is that I'm going to trust you. All right. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to trust you to do the things that need to be done, who you are, what you're here and what you're about. And that's the way I'm going to approach this season and everything we do, every drill, Every every weightlifting session, every every study session, whatever it is, I'm going to trust you because you're here. We brought you here for a reason, and you know what it means to be a Raven. And you and you wanted to be here because you have, you know, you are. You know, they talk all about that a lot, you know, the Raven traits and and that we're brought together for a reason, those kind of things. So that's and that's. I want you to know it's not something that like I've never done before, but I don't think I've ever expressed it. And the guy players looked at me like, like they were shocked, like they'd never heard that before. And that just like took a burden off of everybody. Like, wow, coach, trust me. I don't have to prove myself every second. He believes in me. He believes I, I you know, I, I, he believes I stand for what we stand for. And I just come in and focus on the business of getting better every single day. And uh, then, you know, I, and I think we, I think we also express that like just by, you know, someone like Lamar, just by drafting him and building our offense around him when most people were critical of that move and, and didn't believe in that move. So, it's got to be tangible as well. But once you as the leader, I think, start from that place, then, you know, everybody else kind of has permission and freedom to follow suit. Where it goes from there, you know, is, is where it goes from there. And that has a lot to do with, you know, you know, obviously uh, being trustworthy and, 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 you know, being honest and, and all those kind of things. And sometimes that means hard conversations. But uh, without trust, dysfunction follows for sure. And with trust, I think function follows, you know, and it's just the key element. It's success, really, whether it's a family or anything. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the number one element. 
You know, I was uh, something that really resonated with me was before I came into this conversation, I was watching some videos of, of you on YouTube and some interviews you've done in the past. And one of your stories you told was about an experience with Ed Reed during the, the season where you won the Super Bowl and about maybe he wasn't totally buying into your schemes at first. And, you know, there were some maybe awkward moments or some con confrontational moments between you two and you were talking about how coaches not only need to like their players but need to love their players and that really uh hit home with me because not only the the, the idea of trust in, in a team but the idea of love and family is you know I know that's huge for you and I think that's that's why your guys love you and they love being Ravens you're right you know and it's it's an intentional thing you know like Ed, you know, Ed Reed and I are very close right now, and and uh, and we always will be, and uh, and in a way we always were, uh, because you know he was a star player and I was a head coach, you know, and and that that you're you're kind of in a partnership in the National Football League when you do that, you know, you're kind of stuck with each other in some ways, but when I came in, you know, we did things a lot differently than, and, and Brian Billick did a great job and it was his way of doing it and they did they did they did well, but but you know they hired me for a reason and it was. They wanted something different and it just, you have to be yourself. And like, I remember talking to Steve, you know, right there at the end and basically saying, you know, this is, this is, you know, he and I talked, you know, for many hours about his vision and my vision and, you know, who I was and what, what he was looking for and all those things. But in the end, you know, you finally got to say, this is who I am fundamentally. This is what I believe in. This is what, and, and I'm, this is what I'm going to do. You know, this is what I see needs to be done. These are my, these are my principles. These are written in stone. And, and he and I said, you know, that if you don't, if you're not comfortable with that, then please don't hire me because I'm not going to change those things, you know. And, and fortunately, we, we did see it the same way. And that's why we're still together going into year 14, because we shared those those types of beliefs and principles. Not that we haven't, you know, we have conversations all the time about how to apply them. But that being said, you know, you know, you know, Ed didn't always see the application, didn't under, didn't understand it, didn't agree with it. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And that was good. So I listened. But, you know, if you disagree at some point in time and you're the leader, you've got to you got to forge ahead with what you think is right. And there were there. Were, I, you know, it's painted like we didn't get along. It's a, there were times we didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, there were days where we didn't really get along or there was even weeks of that we didn't get along. But but there were also days and weeks where we got along great. We laughed and had fun. And, and all, I'm a secondary coach, a defensive guy by nature. So we talked secondary all the time. I'd coach Brian Dawkins at Philly. Mm -hmm. And Ed was always interested in how Brian saw things and. So we had, you know, it's just, it was, it's always like that, you know, it's, it's part of it. But, you know, finally we got on that bus after the Super Bowl and he had a bottle of champagne, you know, he was sitting, <laughs> got on the bus. It was the last bus to leave the stadium. I got on with uh, my daughter and we sat there and he was sitting in my seat, Jake, you know, my <laughs> seat, you know, front right seat. <laughs> He's big old smile on his face, bottle of champagne. Might have had a cigar too. So I sat down in what's normally Ozzy's seat, the GM seat across the way. And we just kind of laughed, just kind of, you know, I don't know what he did, but we just kind of smiled. And he, he just said, coach, he said, coach, he said, you know, now I see it. Love it. Now I see it. And that's all he had to say. You know, yeah. that just cemented everything, those principles and what they, what they were there for, you know, and what we had become as a team and when it led to that championship. So, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what you dream of as a coach and you hope for, you know, some, someday for that to be the case. Yeah, I just love that story because at at times it's hard to get guys to really buy into the vision, but um, 
it just everything came together there at that moment for you. You won the Super Bowl, and everyone was bought in on, on the team. Um, you know, you got You know, you got to. You always got to be explaining. You always got to be talking, and sometimes it's tough conversations. And you know, hey, you make mistakes as a, as a coach or, or whatever, a leader. And um, you know, when you do make a mistake, you, you got to be willing to acknowledge it. If you don't, you, you lose credibility. That's how you lose trust real fast. You know, but uh, but when you when you when you're right, you're right too. You know, you can't be afraid to say, hey, this is right. This is what we're doing this is the right way to do it. And someday I hope you see that. And then the other thing, I think you always paint your vision for the player. You know, we talk about team vision, which is kind of what we're talking about here, but you also have to talk about individual vision, you know, players, students, teachers, all of us, we have a, we have a vision for our career and for where we're going as, as people and stuff. And I think you've got to share that vision with them, find out what their vision is and share what your vision is for them too. help to build. Sometimes they don't see themselves as, as, as good as you might see them or as being, uh, capable as maybe they, they, they may not see themselves as going to go as far as you might see it. So you paint that for them too. Uh, but I think you have to be on the same page as sharing their individual vision and goals for themselves too. And, uh, it, but it takes a lot of work. I mean, you got to be talking to guys, communicating with guys, guys, I say guys, I mean, guys, gals, men, women, mm-hmm. players, students, whatever it might be, you've got to work at it, you know, and that it takes, it takes a lot of effort. Another um, point of conversation I wanted to ask you about is is leadership and and all the different types of forms of leadership that you've come across in your career. Um, how is your understanding or perception of what a good leader is? How has that changed for you over the course of your career? Yeah, you know, like I'm not. I, I read. I do read uh, quite a bit, and I, I take a lot of notes, and I. And well, I look for stuff that can help me. Like I just look for things that I can use, basically, mm-hmm. whether it's a story or a way to say things, you know, an outlook sometimes. I'm not big on the theory. Like I know what a growth mindset is, you know, um, but but I don't dwell too deep into all that stuff because it's good. You know, it's good to know it. But I don't, I don't, I don't like I don't look at it and say, OK, this is going to make me a better leader. I've got to study leadership. I think it's just more about being a, a person. So a transformational leader or whatever. All, all the I buzzwords. Like. All the buzzwords, yeah, I don't remember most of them, but I do think that that that's there's a lot to that, you know. And I'd mm-hmm. like to I like to be seen as transformational in people's lives. But the biggest thing that I learned, I learned, I learned because of Allison. I learned that you have to basically, if you really want to be effective and successful, you can't just talk a good game. I mean, you have to actually. It's not, it's not even so much you know like your players. I mean, I think you need to like people. You know, and you've got to like being around them. And you better like the job. And you better show up with some enthusiasm, like my dad says. You know, uh, but but you have to you have to decide that you're going to love people. And if you are not, if you're a coach that doesn't fundamentally love people, especially young people, the people you're coaching, then you need to get out of it. I mean, why are you doing it? That's the whole point. You know, too much, too, too much is given, much is required. And when you're put in a position that you're a you're a mentor, leader, a teacher. You know, a rabbi, to use a biblical term, when you're put in that position, man, yeah, too much is required, too much is given, much is required. That's a huge, huge responsibility. You hold that person's self-perspective in your hands, and that's just something that they're going to, it's going to impact them for the rest of their lives. And if you can't come from that from a perspective of love, then you are like a symbol, to use another biblical term, just banging away and just making noise. You, I don't care how much knowledge you have about the sport, it's very meaningless. If, uh, if you don't if you don't come from a place of love for the people that you're coaching because you're just not going to have any kind of an impact and you're really you know so I saw Allison you know I'd see the coaches who I thought were really good 
and the teachers who I thought were really good because I could tell by the way she responded to them. And, and I would ask her, you know, what they say or what they do. And I could see that the ones that, that, that poured into her and made her, built her up and helped her to see the vision for herself and what she could be. She had a seventh grade lacrosse coach, the first coach that really did that for her. Then she had a, a seventh and eighth grade softball coach. Uh, they were both men that coached that coached her, and they they poured into her and, and helped to create a vision so that she could really be good. Man, I just as a kid, as a dad, because I already, I love my daughter. So as a dad, I could see that they were treating her from a perspective of loving her. It just oh, it it it, it transformed me to see that's my obligation and my responsibility. I always believed that, but until you really they say sometimes until you have a kid, you know you, you really you really don't grow up. I really do think in that moment you really kind of do boom, things change. Uh, that's that's where it changed me as a coach. And I made it. I made a decision. I was gonna, the best of my ability, treat every player that I had as if they were my own son. And I would talk to them as if I would want them to be talked to if they were my own son in that type of a way. And really, that's the thing probably that transformed me the most. I always believed in it, but now it became much more personalized. You know, when I saw Allison go through it. Yeah, I had a similar experience to that playing lacrosse in college. And a lot of these lacrosse teams now, they have, you know, 50, 55 guys on the team and only, you know, only 20 guys play, if that. And I didn't really see a lot of the time on the field. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who they came every day to practice. They worked really hard. They did everything that everyone else was doing. But on game day, they weren't really getting out there as much. And I think as a coach – you're, you're saying exactly what I'm thinking is the coaches have to focus and pour into the guys that are going to play and then the guys who are just on the sidelines, just the same, right? Because you're not going to have a, a team unless everybody is bought in and everyone's on board, even the guys that aren't really getting out there as much. 100%. One of the biggest challenges for me is the injured players. You know, it's so easy to kind of leave those guys off to the side, forget them because you are working hard as a coach to get your team ready and all the other guys you're dealing with. And just to have a conversation with those guys sometimes because they feel more isolated than anybody. You know, they're not even, they don't feel like they're even a part of the team. And yeah, it's, that's why I say, you know, it's, you want to be, a, you aspire to be a coach, teacher, and, you know, it's, it's a big obligation, big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, coach, another thing that I was wondering about, and this is something that we talk about in my English classes at, at Gilman is what, what success really is. And I know that's another you know, that's, that's a broad topic of success, but I'm just thinking about like the day-to-day things that you do and your players do uh, for the Ravens. And, and do you see success as almost like a destination that you're, you're trying to get somewhere? Or is it more a, a day-to-day process thing where if you can win the day, if you can win the little things, if you can do what you need to do to get your mind right that day. You've really done your job. You found success in, in the mundane. I think that's really well said. And I would agree with it hundred percent. You know, it's, but I don't know if they've ever said life is a journey, not a destination. That, that may be a bumper sticker <laughs> or a block of wood now, you know, but, but uh, no, that's true about success. It's, it's a process. You know, I read one time where, where Arnold Palmer said he, he never made a bad putt. Or he never missed a putt. He said he never missed a putt. It's like, wow, he missed a lot of putts. You know, we all do. Even Arnold Palmer missed a putt. He said, no, he just, uh, it's whether he makes a good putt or not. You know, and, and that's the thing. It's like, if he gets over the ball, he makes a good putt, then that's that's what he's chasing. That's what he can control. The outcome is not something that you can oftentimes control, but you can control 
whether you do something well, do something right. And that's exactly the process that you're talking about. You know, we try, we're very routine in football. We have, we, we like our routine, you know, because that's the process. And we have meetings, we have training weightlifting sessions, we have uh, skull sessions, we have board sessions, we have walkthroughs, we have individual period, group period, team period, uh, we have scrimmages, you know, and all those things that we'll all say oftentimes football is a practice sport. That's what we're talking about. It's a process sport. Really, everything is, right? Malcolm Gladwell. 10,000 repetitions. I mean, good ones, doing things the right way. I mean, that's that's what that's what anybody can be great at just about anything mm-hmm. if they do it enough times the right way, you know, and that's what uh, separates really, you know, good from great or mediocre from good, you know, is the willingness to really work on it, you know, and obviously good instruction and, uh, and routine. I think persistence, relentless persistence is really the key to anything, you know, especially success. And uh, yeah, it's not about outcome. It's not about outcome. You know, we say all the time, you know, do we just, we do all say, you know, do your best, you know, but you got to ask yourself, are you really doing your best? Mm-hmm. You know, are you? And be honest about that with yourself. And if you are, then, then you're certainly a success. And, you know, nine times out of 10, the outcome will be successful. And when it's not, it's not a failure, you know? Um, you talk about getting up from failure, responding from failure, and that's uh, not only important in football and lacrosse, but just a, a life skill is just getting back on the horse and and responding the right way. Is there a failure that you've had or, or a perceived failure that you've had that's like your favorite failure that you really grew from and learned from and were able to respond in the right way afterwards? Yeah, guy. My problem, my problem is I have I have so many of them. You know, it's a it's a large swath of, of uh, events and situations <laughs> to choose from. You know, but uh, my biggest failure probably was uh, you know that one that kind of you know sticks in my craw mostly is the same one you talked about. You know, I I didn't I didn't wasn't successful as a player as I wanted to be in college. You know, and um, you know I can make a lot of reasons for that. You know, I got hurt in high school, got hurt again in college. I just it wasn't good enough. You know. Uh, worked really hard. I don't think anybody worked harder than I did, and uh, and it just never really paid off in playing time and that kind of thing. And you know that sticks with you the rest of your life because it matters so much to you, you know. And my you know my self image was so was so was so wrapped up into 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 that part of it. And then uh, and then you know you you walk out you walk out and it's like boom you know I, I was not a, a, a success as a player. Um, so I, I think probably you know. In the end, it's just what we just talked about. You know, I had to have to come to grips. I would say I'm still coming to grips with, you know, I wasn't a failure. You know, I did I did do everything I could possibly do to be as good as I could be. It just it just wasn't good enough, uh, you know, to be a an all conference player or an all American player or anything like that. But uh, it doesn't mean I wasn't the best player I could be, you know, at that time, you know, in the situation I was in. So you apply that, go forward. You know, understand sometimes failure is better than success, right, Jake? Because, you know, when, when all of a sudden you go through that, which is very, it was very painful. Mm-hmm. And you go through that like later as a coach and you get fired or, or, you, or you get beat in a game or something, you, know, you have heartbreaking moments. It's like, well, you know, I've been here before. <laughs> I know that the sun is going to come up in the morning and I'm going to keep plugging away. And yeah. um, I, I do think, I, you know, Michael Jordan says it. He's failed more than anybody, you know, and he's the greatest basketball player that ever lived. And it's the failures that make him the success that he is. And to me, that's absolute, 
true principle in life. And you've probably taken so much of, of what you learned from that experience into your coaching. That's the same for me. If I didn't have the experience of not really playing much and, you know, sitting on the sideline, I maybe wouldn't see the players here at Gilman in the same way or some of the players that maybe don't have as much confidence out there or they have the skill set, they just don't have the right mindset. There are a lot of things that I'm seeing on the coaching field that I might not see if I didn't experience it myself as a player, I think. Such a great point. I mean, you look over and you see that guy, that player, that gal, and you're like, you can, you, you can empathize. You can put yourself in their shoes and you're going to walk over and have a conversation that you probably wouldn't have had if you were the All-American player that led the team in scoring, right? Right. You just might not have seen that person if, if that had been the case. And that's the gift. That's the gift that God gives us. You know, it's it's all things work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, he's got a plan. You know, I really believe, I believe that because I think, I do believe things happen for a reason, but, and I happen to come from a faith perspective, but but all things can work for good. Uh, there's a psychological element to that as well if you choose to look at it from that perspective. And that's what leads ultimately to success, to empathy for sure, uh, you know, to making a difference in people's lives. And then ultimately as a coach, I mean, don't you, you're young, right? Don't you look forward to the time, you know, 15, 20 years from now, your old students, your old players come back and say, coach, or, or you, know, you know, Mr. Scott, remember when you said this? And you're like, and you might remember and you might not. But, you know, they'll, they'll say that made all the difference for me. Man, that's going to be the moment where you're going to get chills. You're going to get goosebumps and your hair is going to stand up. You know? <laughs> you're like, that's why I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. That's why I did that. Right. And, and to be honest with you, when, when Allison told me that she was thinking about studying English, that was really my first experience uh, of a student, like really taking an interest in what, and I did, I was in my first year teaching. I really didn't feel like I was doing that great of a job. I was trying hard, but I, you know, I didn't know what it looked like, what good teaching looked like. It was a different thing for me. And when she told me that she really enjoyed the class and she might study English in college, that was, that made my week. I was like, Allison, you just made my week. <laughs> cool. It's, it's, you're right. It's what it's all about. Yep. Yep. So, Coach, um, were you? Did you happen to bring or think of a book recommendation? Uh, that's one thing that uh, we do on the podcast, and I, I don't know if you thought of anything, but yeah, I did. I did. I, you know, I've, uh, I, I do a lot. I read. I read a lot of biographies and stuff like that. But I also read some of these just things that I read. A couple of people. This, you ever heard of Mark Batterson? He's actually a pastor uh, down in. Uh, the National Church down in D.C., and uh, he's a great writer, and he's done some great things. So this is the latest one I'm reading right now, Win the Day, Seven Daily Habits to Help You. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a biblical, faith-based perspective on um, just, just, just being successful, the things that you're talking about, the principles. And uh, I get so many great ideas from, from him and from this book right here. I, I, what I do on my phone, I take my phone, I'm reading it, it takes me forever because I see something, I, I type it on my phone. That's how I get my notes, you know. My, my, I got two thumbs like sausages half the time. <laughs> this phone is a mind of its own. It writes what it wants to write half the time. But that's how I take the notes. And, uh, and, and I'll use this stuff with my players, you know, because it's just, it's just good. It's principles, you know. And once you learn something like as you're saying, when you read, you know, I always joke with our players because, you know, players, we're, guys, we, we're dealing with guys. I got asked a question yesterday, you know, about coachability, and it was, it was a gal who was a former athlete. And I said, believe me, I don't, you women, girls, this may be the wrong thing to say, but my experience has been they're so much better than men, so much more coachable. They, they learn so much better. 
we are so stubborn, right? <laughs> I, oh, guys, I get it, okay? I'm like you. I don't like to be taught, but I do like to learn. Mm-hmm. Because when I learn something, ooh, that becomes something that becomes kind of my mind now. It becomes my property. makes me better. But I don't like the person telling me because I got pride. I got this pride thing, this guy thing going on, you know? So he gives me some really great things as far as teaching the guys and talking to the guys. And hopefully you break through that. I don't like to be taught guy issue, but uh, yeah. So love it. That's a, and that's exactly what we we're talking about. Win the day. It's the, it's the process. It's the little thing. It's the routine on a daily basis that ultimately leads to the, the long-term success, but it's maybe you're not thinking about the long-term success. You're just trying to do the, the right thing in the moment. All right. Well, we, we talk all the time. W I N we have this thing. It's, it's win, but it's got a dot between the W and a dot between the I and a dot after the N. And you know, what it stands for is what does it mean to win? It means what's important now, which is exactly to your point. It's an old Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz term. He talks about it, but you know, what's you got to determine what's important now and take care of that. And then that the big picture win that tends to take care of itself. Well, Coach Harbaugh, it was a, it was a pleasure to talk to you today, and I, I appreciate your time. I know you're you're busy, but um, it was great to see you in person and get some get some really good lessons from you. I learned a lot from talking to you and uh, we're rooting for the Ravens this year for sure. We can't wait uh, for the, for the season, but thanks again for your time and hope to talk to you again soon. I enjoyed it greatly, Jake. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great podcast you're doing. We, uh, you know, between Bryn Mawr, Gilman and Roland Park, that little, that little partnership you all got going there, <laughs> man, it, it, that was, it was, it changed, it, it was, it, I don't know, it changed my daughter's life, but it directed her in the right direction and, and we'll be forever grateful. So it's an honor and a privilege to be on there with you. Thank Have a you great very, day. Thank you very much. Win the day. Win the day. <laughs> Win the day. All right, man. We'll see you. We'll see you later. Thanks again. <laughs>